Hapoos last night. I only have one this thing to say. Baklava. Mm. <laughs> have been there, have done that. That that stuff's pretty good. But anyway. This morning we're in the book of Revelation, chapter twenty. We'll go be going through verses one through ten. Uh, we went over the first six verses last week. Uh but the first six verses happen to cover what we call the millennium. Uh, that thousand-year reign of Christ with his saints, which we will be part of. But think of it. A thousand years covered in six verses. Makes you ponder, makes you think about Peter's words in Second Peter 2.8, with the Lord a thousand years or as a day and a day as a thousand years. So you could have said that we covered one day last week in our verses of one through six. So, But everything that we measure anything by in this life are concepts of thinking they're based on time. From day-to-day living to our lifespans, we base them on time. From a vacation to preparing for retirement, our thinking involves time or a timeline. We look at time in a linear type way and it's always left to right because of the way we read, timelines. And time is divided, if you will, into three segments. We have past, we have future, and we have present tense. You know, this present tense, this moment right now, is the only time you're allowed to live in. You can only live right now. You remember the past, you look forward to the future, but you only live in the present tense moment. The thousand-year millennial reign of Christ would bring about time concerns if we didn't have the hope of eternal heaven. That's kind of mind-boggling right there. I'm sure as we live through the millennium, we'll walk around saying, wow, I've already lived 427 years. My, how time flies. But our true hope as Christians is to dwell with our Lord eternally. To dwell in an environment where time stops existing eternity eternity becomes a real comfort to any believer but we mortals we're bombarded with things like retirement concerns they're all over the TV and we are told to prepare for those few golden years we point we plan we prepare for a few short years of retirement. 
Would it not be wise for us to prepare for a time where we rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years? Or better yet, to dwell in heaven where the concept of time is removed, ever present with Christ in all his glory. Then truly we could say, Jesus, I'm so in love with you. But because we are conditioned to think about time, attempting to grasp the eternal, the everlasting, it's a difficult concept for most of us. We've all heard of comparisons about some amount of time being given to one grain of sand, say a million years, you make that uh, equivalent there, and eternity being then all the grains of sand upon the earth. And you go, wow, well, that's mind-boggling. Yeah, it is. Until you use up that first grain of sand, then time would become measurable. For my mind to grasp eternity, where God dwells outside of time, causes a mental short out, like blowing a fuse. (laughs) Then for me to consider living with Christ eternally, another short out. I just can't grasp it. So, let's jump in today's text before I have another short out. Chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark of their on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years." But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now when the thousand years had expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceives them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and false prophet are, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. 
Verse 1, we have an angel, an unnamed angel. He's not an archangel, but what a be, he appears to be just an ordinary angel. Angel Bob, we'll give him a name. Given power by God. And this angel has complete authority over Satan. Notice what this angel does. He takes Satan, man's most evil adversary of all time, the devil himself, binds him with a chain and casts him alive into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. Then after the thousand years, Satan is released again for a short period of time. There's several things to notice here. One, Satan's imprisonment for over a, for a thousand years, not over a thousand, it does not rehabilitate him. Satan, the devil himself, is not sort of evil. He is completely consumed by evil. Satan has no remorse, no sorrow for rebelling against God, his maker, his creator. And for a thousand years, Satan has not considered the error of his ways at all. He only hates and looks forward to the day and plans evil for when he is released again. So my mind goes, well, what kind or what type of chain did this angel have that can bind a spiritual being? No one knows. <laughs> but God who created the spirit world and all the beings of the spirit world, he also fashioned a chain that totally binds Satan. And this angel's given that chain. Satan becomes a non-factor on this earth for a thousand years. That's hard for us to even imagine. I've heard people, and perhaps you've heard them, that pray, and in their prayers they bind Satan. This angel, this literal angel that binds Satan isn't praying, he isn't playing some mind game like those Christians that are praying that Satan would be bound. It's foolishness for a Christian to begin to think that he can order Satan around. Jude, in his short little epistle, he tells us that Michael, the archangel, doesn't come against Satan one-on-one -on -one in his own strength. But Michael simply says, the Lord rebuke you. We would be well advised to take that advice. But back to the question, why does God in his eternal plan bind Satan for a thousand years only to release him again for a short period of time? Why do this? 
Well, we know one of the reasons, and it talks about it here, is for a thousand years, this earth will experience a perfect environment, sort of like the Garden of Eden. During this perfect environment, the depravity of man will surface. So scripture points out to us, even though man living in a perfect environment, when left to himself, with no outside force, Satan, you know, being bound, his heart is still evil, and he turns to rebellion and sin. How sad. So much for the thought that man is basically good. We're not. We're basically evil. We need a redeemer. But let me try to explain a little bit about this thousand-year period. For us who live on earth at that time, those that have gone through the tribulation and not been wiped out or killed, uh, will again populate the earth. This earth will again be populated. It will be populated where there's a perfect environment, where there's no outside influence to do evil or to do sin. Scripture tells us that Jesus will rule and reign with a rod of iron, meaning that our Lord's government system will be perfect, it will be righteous. Have you ever longed for perfect justice? Where no one can influence the courts with their position of power, where no one can influence the courts with their money by buying the right attorneys? We will have perfect justice and no influencing of the courts or anything else. We will experience this during the millennium. We, the raptured Christians and tribulation saints that join us, who gave up their lives, will also rule and reign with Christ. And this is a reward that we will have for having chosen Christ of our own free will. And I'll try to explain that. But for those that are born during the millennial, by, in that thousand-year period of Christ, they have not been able to make a choice based upon having a good choice or a bad choice. They have only seen good. There has been no outside influence of evil. To make a choice, to have free will, you have to have at least two options. You have to have good and evil, however you perceive them. Those born during the millennium, and there will be millions and millions of them, will make their choice of good from evil when Satan is released at the end of that thousand years. And he's only released for a short while, and for that I'm glad. But a few things about the millennium. Now, it's, you know, 
short subject for the amount of time it is in our lives. During the millennium, Jerusalem will be the world's headquarters for Jesus' kingdom. Jerusalem will be where his seat of power is. A new temple will have been built on the Temple Mount, and it's God's capital. Isaiah 2, 1 through 3, it speaks of this. Let me read those three verses. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now shall, shall come to pass in the latter day that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his path. For out of Zion, Jerusalem, shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So Jerusalem has a very special place to the Lord during the millennium, during Christ's reign. There Also, there will be no war during that period of time. Armed conflicts will not be tolerated, and the world will experience peace from conflict. There will be no conflict. Also, King David will be resurrected along with other Old Testament saints, and King David will have a prominent role in Christ's reign. And the references for that, and I'll give them to you, you can look them up, Isaiah 55, 3 through 5, Ezekiel 34, 23 through 31, and Hosea 3, 5. Those are three definite references of King David being back with Christ ruling and reigning. It also appears that during the millennial reign, I almost don't like this part, people will return it appears people will return to be vegetarians. What happened to a good old ribeye? You know? The world, it appears, well, we know it was actually, a vegetarian diet before chapter 9 of Genesis. And it's after chapter 9, after the flood, that Animals are given to man as food. So it appears that during the millennial reign of Christ, we will be vegetarians. For some of you, that makes you happy. For others, not so happy. The temple in Jerusalem, having recently been built, is a memorial to what God has done, what he has the work he has done with the Jews in the past. It is not a temple where animal sacrifice will take place. It is a place, a show place for God and his mercies towards Israel. Uh, we who have chosen and accepted Christ will have responsibilities, will have services to perform during the millennial in one of millennium in one of those services is we will be judges 
verse 4 of our text points this out. It says, judgment was committed to them. Well, why would Jesus require us to judge anyone or anything during this thousand-year reign? Because judgment is required any time conflicts arise, any time there are breaking of laws or rules, and there will be rules and laws during the millennial reign, and there will be violators. Violators of the law, there will be disputes, and we will rule and judge in these matters. Some have speculated that the saints of judgment, we will have foreknowledge. We will have foreknowledge in the same way that God had foreknowledge with Cain back in Genesis chapter 4. As you know the story, Cain offered God a sacrifice. He offered his sacrifice of human works. God doesn't accept that sacrifice, and he rejects Cain's offering. Cain becomes angry with God so angry that it shows in his countenance. You could look at Cain and say, wow, what's wrong with you? And Cain also murders his brother Abel. But let me read um, several verses here out of Genesis 4, 6 through 7. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at your door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. During the millennium, we will, as judges of our Lord, rule over sin. Now, some scholars have speculated that we saints will judge with Christ and that we will see evil, we will see evil intent of a person before they even do the sin, before they commit sin, and we will judge accordingly. And we will do this through the gift of discernment. We will go around and say, oh, I wouldn't do that for you. And they look at what? <laughs> you know what you were wanting to do. Don't do it. <laughs> or I'll have to pass judgment on you. Just like sometimes a child will give away what they're going to do before they do it. We will have discernment, many believe, at that time to stop evil before it happens. Just like God said to Cain, sin lies at your door, Cain. Don't. Let it rule over you. The millennium will demonstrate to mankind the true heart of man. Because even in a perfect environment, men will turn and rebel against God after a thousand years. 
we see that after a thousand years of perfect governmental rule, perfect environment, Satan is then released for a short period of time. Upon his release, he will again deceive the nations. It says Gog and Magog. Now that simply is a reference to nations that are bent on rebellion. Satan will gather this great multitude of people and he will gather them to battle and it's a bunch. It's millions upon millions. It's not just a precious few that rebel against God. It's as the sands of the sea. A thousand years of equality, justice, and perfect environment has not brought man's heart to a good end. It says their number is as the sand of the sea. Satan, in his incarceration, in the pit, he is like many criminals that we have today. He has used his prison time to plot and plan of ways to deceive men. And he's got multitudes that follow him, innumerable. It's amazing to me how mankind is so quick to follow after evil. Satan and his host, they gather together, they surround Israel. It says surrounds the camp of God. They surround God's capital, his beloved city, and they're there to make war against God. But it's a very short rebellion. God brings down fire out of heaven and it says he devours them. He doesn't just scorch them a little. He devours them and the rebellion is over before it even started. Satan again is captured, cast into the lake of fire and brimstone alive where the false prophet and the beast where they already are dwelling. And they are tormented day and night forever and ever. Just as we began our little talk this morning about time, forever and ever transcends time. This fire and brimstone is the second death. It's hell itself. It's eternal torment created for Satan and his followers. Now, it is my duty, it's my respons responsibility to point out, and I would be remiss if I didn't do this, God does not send anyone to hell. He does not send any person to the eternal place of torment that he created for Satan. Men who have rejected the salvation of Christ choose hell. They choose it. This is demonstrated in the truth of at the end of the thousand-year period of perfect environment, 
that men choose evil. And they choose evil all around us today, too. All you got to do is look around you. And after a thousand years of perfect justice, perfect righteousness, many men in the evilness of their own heart, no outside influence of Satan, choose to follow the evil one in rebelling against God. How tragic. And God has chosen, for whatever reasons, God has chosen to respect the free will of man. And he gives rebellious mankind, he gives them their justice. The disturbing truth in all this is that we look around us today, many people don't even believe in hell. Many churches will not even talk about hell. And for sure, it's such an abstract thought to many that there is no fear of hell. Jesus told us to be afraid of it. He said, be afraid of the one that after this life that can cast you into hell. Be afraid of it. For the thousand-year reign of Christ, men, after this period of time, men of their own free will gather with Satan to fight against God. What does that say about the modern thought that man is basically good? What does that tell you about those who try to convince us that man is basically good and if we just simply improve his environment, all things good will work out? After a thousand years of perfect environment, perfect justice, perfect righteousness, men look for Satan to fight against God with them. The millennial reign of Christ and how it ends points to man's depravity. That's the only conclusion you can come to. The bottom line is we need a savior not from Satan but from our own depravity, from my own evil heart, I need a Savior. Let me get you to stand and we'll close in prayer. Father God, first of all, we thank you for saving us from ourselves. Lord, how I wish that I did not have this loving of sin to the being prone to sin. Lord, I wish I was free from that. So, Lord, save me from myself. Save me from my evil thoughts, from my evil ways, Lord. 
Fill me with your spirit. Make me into a man of God. Lord, I pray that prayer not only for myself, but everybody here. Lord, we need you, our Savior, to save us from ourselves. Thank you for the truth of your word, Lord. Thank you for being honest with us. You show us our tendencies to be sinful. But most of all, Lord, we thank you for Jesus and his saving power. We ask that by your spirit you would cause us to walk in a way that is pleasing unto you. So, Lord, daily sanctify our minds, cleanse our hearts, Lord. We want to choose you with our whole heart. We don't want to hold anything back from you, Lord. For you are a good God. And you love us. And you have good things for us. You want us to spend eternity with you, Lord. And we want that. So, Lord, guard my heart by your spirit. Guard my behavior. Lord, let my thoughts be pure thoughts about you and your kingdom. And help me to get a proper perspective on time and on the day that we live in, Lord. Do that good work in my heart and in the heart of your people. We pray for this, Lord. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you.